Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 190. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to yet another episode. Well, this week, I'm excited to bring back on the show our guest, Mark Willis. Mark last aired on the podcast in episode 97, so almost 100 episodes ago. I figure it's time to bring Mark back on the show and dive deeper into some of those subjects we talked about, one of those being investing in yourself, using yourself as your own bank, using a whole term life insurance policy. This is a pretty new strategy to a lot of people, one that's new to me as well, but I find it really interesting. So I'm excited to share with you this episode. Well, without further ado, let's bring on Mark. All right, today I welcome back on the show, Mr. Mark Willis. Mark, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Glad to be on your show again. It's our pleasure. So you and I were just talking and you first aired on the podcast for the first time back in April of 2018 on episode 97. So coming up on a year now, really excited to have you back on, check in with what's new in your world. So thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, sure. Anytime to be with a Texan from Chicago, but spent some years <laughs> in Texas. So it's always a pleasure. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Mark, hey, it's been a while since we last talked and you know last time we talked we kind of talked about this at the time was a really foreign concept to me and I'm sure for many of the listeners but that was this kind of whole bank on yourself concept so first before we get into that I guess kind of if for the listeners that didn't check out episode 97 just kind of give us a little brief background of yourself how you got started in the world you're in and just kind of a little bit about who you are and what you do Sure. Yeah. I was a classically trained financial planner, received a designation from the certified financial planner professional designation, loved working with clients, worked for a CPA right in the midst of the Great Recession and was listening to her give phone calls to her clients, giving them the bad news that basically she had just lost them a third or even a half of their life savings. Some of them were, Jacob, right up on age 60, 61, 62 years old and had no backup plan and no guarantees in their financial future. So that really woke me up. It shook me to my core. How could I possibly spend a career serving people if this is the outcome, if Wall Street is the only way? It just seemed like a roller coaster ride I didn't want to have to put people on. So that's what drove me to looking for other strategies. And what I stumbled across and what we talked about in our last episode a little bit was uh, the bank on yourself concept, which is what we specialize in here. That's not all we do. We are a full financial firm, but we think this is a strategy that's left on the table by too many other financial planners. So we wanted to make sure that we let as many people know about it as possible to make their own mind up if it fits in their portfolio. Yeah, awesome. So bank on yourself. Sounds like a cool strategy. What exactly is it? 
Well, think about it this way. We're already in the banking business, Jacob, and all of our listeners too. We're already in the banking industry. We're just sitting on the wrong side of the table. The banks typically control much of the money flow in our economy. They have this great game that they've figured out where if I go into a bank and deposit $1,000, I might get 0.01% on that money. And they're not just leaving it in the vault at their bank. I mean, let's be honest, Jacob, they're loaning it to the guy behind me in line for 10% or higher, which is like a bajillion times return. They're not even using their own money. That's a financial term, bajillion, by the way. So they're not even right, using right. their own money. And they're making just crazy profits. And to make matters worse, they still needed the bailout. Okay. How is that possible? How could a company run themselves so badly? If I was selling hammers or if I was selling chairs and I had those kind of margins and I still couldn't run a profit and I still needed a taxpayer bailout, something's up there. They are already figured out how they can make mega money and then have this insurance policy called taxpayer bailouts to come rescue us whenever we get into trouble. So what if you could excuse yourself from that whole scenario? What if you could wake up from the banker's matrix and become your own banker instead? That's the real power of this concept. Now we use the tool in the real world. You got to have tools to enact a concept like this or a strategy. You need tools to do it, right? Yeah. But we use dividend paying whole life insurance and it's a modernized form of whole life, not the kind Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman talks about, but a kind that really plows a lot of money into the cash value on day one. And you can use it as a financial management tool right on day one. You can use it for, oh, heck, anything, your cars, your vacations. But I think we talked last time a little bit about how this might fit into the real estate world, where you're using your own line of credit to yourself and literally recapturing what you pay on major purchases for your real estate deals or for your kids' college, that sort of thing. So that's, in a nutshell, what the Bank on Yourself strategy is all about. Yeah, awesome. And so this is a pretty unique vehicle, this whole dividend-paying whole life insurance policy, at least especially it still is kind of like, I still don't fully understand it, even after talking with you last time. And like, it takes a few times for it to sink in. So kind of explain high level, what exactly is first off a whole life insurance policy? Okay. Yeah. So we're used to as real estate investors and myself included, we like hard assets. We like things we can put our hand up on and feel and see in the neighborhood. And that is an awesome asset in your portfolio. I think it complements the bank on yourself strategy perfectly because an insurance policy is really just a legal contract. And if you really get down to it, what is the assurance we have with our real estate? Well, it's contracts. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be you know squatter's rights or whatever, and there'd be no ownership. So it still comes down to the contract. And we still, thank goodness, live in a society where we honor legal precedents as we honor contracts. So insurance policies, Jacob, are really just contracts between you and a private insurance company, unlike maybe a 401k or an IRA, which are essentially written tax codes with in partnership with the government with your money. So these insurance contracts are just agreements between you and this company to do certain things. You're going to do a certain something like pay your premium contributions to the policy. And the insurance company in turn will honor their side of the agreement. Things like, well, let's do four quick promises that they give you. One, okay. it's going to grow on every single year in a tax deferred nature. And you always have access to the cash value and the gains through withdrawals and loans completely 100% tax free. So this is really important, especially with what's been going on in my life lately has been the major rehaul or overhaul of the tax code, the big yes. uh, tax cuts and jobs act that just came through. So we can talk about that if you'd like. So the first thing is it's tax free access to the money, both during retirement and before. That's huge. The second thing is the policy is going to offer the insurance company offers a guaranteed annual cash value increase every single year, your cash gets larger and larger guaranteed on a larger and larger scale. So it's uninterrupted compound growth, which is to me, Jacob, like the most incredible thing in the universe. 
course. I mean, it's the <laughs> stuff I dream about as a financial planner. I think Albert Einstein had something to say about that, right? Come on. Yeah, that's right. He knows something. I mean, from supernova to algae in your lake, uninterrupted compound growth is the most magical thing to watch. It really is. So that's the second thing. The third is that this allows you to leave an inheritance and gives you the permission to spend down your principal. So a lot of people say, well, I have to build up all this wealth and I can only spend the interest or the gains that I make each year. So if my bond portfolio is making 2% a year or something, I only can spend that 2% because I don't want to spend down my principal. Because life insurance has a death benefit attached, it gives you the permission slip to spend down more of your principal so you can still leave enough to your spouse or to your kids or to your charity. So that's awesome. It's an instant estate creator for no extra money, basically. And then the fourth thing, and then I'll get off my little soapbox here. <laughs> no, I like it. Is that it becomes a source of financing for you. You become your own source of financing. So it creates for you this permanent line of credit that you always have access to. The insurance company bakes that promise of a line of credit on your policy into the policy from day one, and they cannot rescind that. They can't take it away. So even when banks stop lending, which will happen again someday during the next recession, who do you think is going to take up market share? Is it going to be the people who had all this money wrapped up in their HELOCs or all these loans on their mortgages or other lines of credit? Or will it be the people who are basically, in essence, banking on themselves and had a permanent line of credit on their policy to get access to that money, even during tough times? So those are the four things that I guess we could wrap around the bank on yourself idea. Yeah, it's a really unique strategy there. And what I kind of like about it is you're kind of taking back that control or at least kind of bringing it in your own wheelhouse. I mean, yeah, sure, you've got a contract with another life insurance company, but that's something that you've got control of. And that's, I think, one of the fundamental underlying principles that most real estate investors value is having that control. Like you said, being able to go out and touch their asset and paint it and fix it up or do whatever. So I'd find that to be a very valuable construct myself. So you kind of say that it pairs well with real estate investing. And that is you can take these loans or withdrawals from yourself and go and reinvest those, right? Is that what you're kind of mirroring up there? Correct. Yeah. So if you've got a big pile of money in your policy, you can use that for small purchases or big purchases, small as paying for your property taxes, let's say each year, use your policy instead of just paying cash or as large as buying a whole multifamily unit apartment buildings and going at it with your policy rather than having to rely on another bank. The value there, and this is so important, maybe the most important part of the contract, the most important thing here to keep in mind when you're looking for one of these policies is to make sure that the advisor engineered it correctly. One of those specific things you need to look for is, did it have non-direct recognition loans? And this is the kind of loan that lets you keep earning the same dividend even when you borrow against that money. So again, it's uninterrupted compound growth. Even when I touch the money, if I grab a hundred grand or half a million dollars, we had a client the other day, he called us up for a half a million dollar loan out of his life insurance policy to go pay cash for some at closing for some real estate. This year, he's still going to get the full dividend even on the 500 grand that he pulled out of his policy. And then he also gets the real estate appreciation and rent money too. It's a great combination. Really interesting. So let's kind of run through a simple scenario here, Mark. I'm sure a lot of people out there are thinking, hey, I'm 20 or 25 or 30 years old. I don't have a lot of money right now to go contribute to a life insurance policy that I would think would make a difference, right? So let's say you can only contribute, say, $500 a month to a life insurance policy. What kind of benefits could you see from that style, that magnitude of contribution? Yeah, remember, even at $500 a month, if your money's going somewhere, ask yourself, what do I want my money to do for me? If you were to put it in a hedge fund, it'll act different than if you put it in a savings account or a stock brokerage account or a 401k or a life insurance policy. So if you have even $500 a month, you can do one of these policies. Obviously, the more you put in, the more you get to grow and work for it in your favor. 
quarter. But even in the first month, you would have some cash value you could access for something. So let's take, for example, HOA specials. Or let's take, for example, you're saving $500 a month in your policy for next year's property tax or this upcoming repair that you know is going to take a couple grand. You could take care of that repair in the first year uh, with your policy. So things like that, Jacob, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, sure. So essentially what I was asking is, can somebody with a limited budget still play with this vehicle? Or is it kind of for high net worth individuals or who are going to go contribute 100, 500, $1 million into it right off the bat? Yeah. My experience has been, certainly we'd want to sit down and listen carefully to what the individual's needs are. If they were unable to live within their means or could not save money, we wouldn't recommend this strategy. We'd work on more basic things like budgeting and kind of living within your means first. If, however, you do have some extra money at the end of the month and you want to put it away, small or large, it can work. What you do is you just simply work with an advisor, make sure that the advisor is a bank on yourself authorized advisor so that they engineer the policy correctly. And then look it over, talk it over with them and decide for yourself if it's going to be of benefit to you or not. Yeah, sure. Okay. So what recent changes with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts has affected this type of vehicle, if any? Yes, really smart and timely question. So life insurance has a fascinating history and I won't bore you to death with the details, (laughs) but um, for someone who is just getting into this, you don't have to like life insurance companies. You don't have to love them maybe as much as some of us financial planners might love life insurance companies. You just have to like the insurance company just a little bit more than you like the IRS. And what I mean That's by that- That's a pretty is, low bar, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that does set the bar pretty low. So let's think about the history of life insurance just for quickly now. Okay. It actually, life insurance in this country actually predates the US Constitution. Whole life insurance has been around for over 200 years and we've had the ability to enjoy some of the tax benefits of life insurance that we have today because every time Congress institutes a tax code change, they grandfather in the benefits and advantages of life insurance from the previous tax code. So most people don't realize that we didn't even have an income tax in this country before 1913. Now, life insurance, whole life insurance, the way we talk about it, has been around for well before that, generations. So a couple of things that life insurance does have is that you get tax-free access to the money through either loans, which are not considered income by the IRS, a tax-free death benefit, of course. You can have tax-deferred accumulation. So a lot of people don't realize that when you put money in a CD, or a savings account, Jacob, you're going to get taxed every single year, whether you touch that money or not. It's getting taxed because it's where your money is living, is a taxable environment. But a life insurance policy can grow forever and never get taxed. And then you can take the money out tax-free. That's a few bits and pieces. And all of that was preserved when we went through the recent tax reform of 2017-2018. A couple other quick things you might just keep in mind. Life insurance income, as you take the money out, if you took the money out of the policy, let's say in retirement, it's one of the only places you can take money, Roth IRAs being another, where it does not count against your modified adjusted gross income or any kind of provisional income. So in other words, you can take six figures out of your policy this year. We've got clients doing that and they're reporting $0 on their tax return. And that gives them better, I don't want to say access to, but it keeps their social security from being taxed as well. And more importantly, I think because of the nature of it, uh, Medicare premiums don't go up 
because we're not showing any earned income in retirement. Most people don't realize this, Jacob, but if all of our real estate is successful and we're taking a bunch of rent money from folks, even through our retirement years, that rent money or those REIT dividends are all reportable income to the IRS. And that causes the IRS to tax our social security benefits up to 85% of what we would have received, which is, I think, just bananas. Crazy. Sounds really high. Well, it's not only is it high, but didn't you and I pay a tax called social security throughout our working years? <laughs> and now we're going to get taxed again on the same thing. No, it's, that's supposed to be anyway. So don't get me started on that. But life insurance <laughs> is one of the only things that doesn't have any kind of provisional income attached to it. So I'll get off. I'll hush for a few minutes. Any thoughts or questions or want to dive deeper into any of that? No, I, I really like what you said there, but you would sit down with somebody and ask them, okay, what do you want your money to do for you? Right? Because you can put it here and it'll do this thing. You can put it over here and it'll do this thing. And so there's all these different vehicles and very few of these vehicles, people even have a little bit of knowledge about like most people just stick their money in a 401k that's sponsored by their employer. And that's almost the gist of it. And then people kind of get a little more advanced and they'll take some money and put in an IRA, maybe a traditional or a Roth IRA. And then some people we've talked about recently on the show will do solo 401ks for the entrepreneurs out there and for the people that are entrepreneurs rather than employees. That's a good strategy. But this is a whole new investment and it's got its other pros and cons. So I really like what you're talking about there just by identifying what do you want your money to do for you and then from there placing it where it makes sense. So this is a really cool investment vehicle that not many people are aware of, at least in my circle anyways. So I'm sure, you know, in your world, this is everything. So really cool to just kind of go through those things. Oh, exactly. It's important to literally write yourself a, a, a note, ask yourself this question. Hey, if I was Pope of money for the day, what would the perfect financial instrument be? What could I just create if I could just wave a magic wand to create this brand new financial vehicle? I love taking the labels off of things first and determining the function. So what is the function of a solo 401k? What is the function of a Roth IRA? Again, what do we want our money to do for us? Function before label, I think is very helpful for when you're trying to do some planning. And that's what a good certified financial planner or other financial advisor should be able to walk you through to help you brainstorm what do you want your money to do for you? Yeah, sure. So this whole term life insurance policy has a component where you can obviously make withdrawals or uh, loans from your account, kind of like you can with the 401k. Are there any differences there? Are there any pros or cons to one or the other? Yes, I am. Unfortunately, you're going to hear it. I'm not a fan of 401k loan. There's a few reasons why. One, you can only take $50,000 or 50% of the value, whichever is less. Yes whichever is less. So that won't change our life if we're trying to use this for real estate. And we can talk about self-directed 401ks if you'd like as well. The other thing I don't like about 401k loans is once again, we're on the wrong side of the banker's desk and the 401k plan administrator gets to set the interest rate. They set a required repayment plan. There is no required repayment plan on these life insurance policies. And maybe most importantly, the 401k will designate anything that you've set as loan. They'll collateralize your 401k loan and set that money over here in a cash account, earning no interest while you have your loan outstanding. So you're not going to get to participate in the market's ups and it'll keep there until you've paid back the 401k loan. If you get fired and there's a loan on your 401k, the entire amount balance is due the following April, which is like to me, Jacob, the worst time to have to come up with like 40 grand is when you've just lost your job. And maybe the most important reason why I'm not a fan of 401k loans. And again, I think it's at least something. Most people have no savings. The average American would have to go into debt or sell something if they 
they had an emergency of just 400 bucks. That's according to the Federal Reserve study. So at least it's something to give us access to our own money here. But the real reason why I don't like 401k loans is it's double taxing your money. Here's what I mean. So I take a loan and I buy a car or something with it, or I pay off a credit card or something, whatever I'm doing with the money. Now I'm going to pay after-tax dollars to repay my loan to the 401k. That makes sense so far? Yes. And then now it's going to grow. Okay. So I've paid after-tax dollars once. It's going to grow tax-deferred. And in retirement, I mean, is the 401k tax-free or is it taxable? Well, if it's a traditional 401k, it's going to get taxed again in retirement. So I just paid taxes twice on those same 40 grand or whatever I took out of my 401k. It doesn't seem like it's designed for me, certainly not designed for my family. Really, it's a way for the government to make as much off of our retirement savings as possible. Yeah, I find it interesting. We'll go on a real quick 401k tangent here because it's something I can kind of intelligently speak about. Well, that's giving myself way too much credit. But hey, uh, go for it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so what I know a little bit about the 401k is it was kind of implemented by a gentleman by the name of Ted Benner, right? And he did this in a approximately 1981. I think it was in the tax code in like 78 or 79, somewhere in that time frame. So let's say you were just hitting your working professional age of, let's say, 22 years old at that time frame, and you've invested for the previous 40 years in a 401k. That's only essentially like one generation of people out there that have really successfully invested in a 401k. But yet everybody walks around today's society like this is this old adage, you know, golden proven kind of vehicle. And really, it's only been around for 30 or 40 years. So it's kind of interesting to just people just kind of take it for granted, but it's really not a long standing vehicle for these types of things. Jacob, you're exactly right. The 401k is not even old enough to retire. And we're all looking at it like it was built and designed on the first day of creation. It isn't. It's a grand experiment. And even Ted Benna, the gentleman who created or found the 401k, he has been on record saying he has created a monster and it should be destroyed. Yes, that's very interesting. And I've heard him talk and say those things. And it's really interesting to hear him say that it's not being used how he had designed and it planned originally. So just really interesting there. So people out there who think that's their only option, Option, you got to realize that there's other options, other vehicles out there to invest now, in. I will make one little caveat uh, to the 401k, and I yeah. think this is awesome. So don't hear me say that no one should ever put a dollar into their 401ks. I love, and I used to be skeptical of, but I now have come to love the employer match. Here's why. You're probably not going to negotiate a 3% raise on your salary if you choose not to put your money into the 401k. So it is, in essence, just your employer is giving you a 3% raise just for putting that money in there. Even so, so even with all the fees, even with all the market volatility, even with all the unknowns in your inside your 401k and inability to access the money, here's one thing that I think is pretty cool. Let's say you put 3% or even 5% of your salary over 30 or 40 years into a 401k and you build that up and you've calculated this well with a competent advisor who gets this and you built up just enough into your 401k, but not too much. Then in retirement, you can take that money out under the standard deduction limit. Right now it's at $24,000 for a married couple. So if you took out less than that amount in your 401k, along with any other provisional income like rental, real estate, whatever, then that money is tax deductible. And that's a way to get money in tax deferred into your 401k. It grows tax deferred and then you get it out under a deduction so it keeps it from being taxed in retirement. That's a triple win right there in my book. So that's one example of where 401ks can shine if you don't put too much in there. Yeah, sure. And Mark, for a lot of the audience members, they realize this, but I'm still an employee. I work as an engineer in my day job still. And so I participate in a 401k, although I kind of do so a little like I'm doing it kicking and screaming, dragging my heels along the way, right? But it's that employer match that really kind of sets the bait. And yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're all bad and I don't think they're all good. I think 
people just need to realize that there are other vehicles out there to also use at their disposal. That's right. Yep. And part of the reason why we decided in our firm to specialize in this very modernized, efficient, augmented form of dividend paying whole life insurance is because it's so underrepresented in the marketplace. I think if folks just knew this strategy existed, they would take another look. I mean, back in 1940, almost half of all Americans kept the majority of their wealth in dividend paying whole life insurance. Now, were we less or more financially solvent as a family and as a country back in the 1930s and 40s or today when we have almost no savings and we're in debt up to our eyeballs. I'll leave that to your listeners to decide. Sure. Well, Mark, what do you think's changed in terms of why people are no longer, I guess, open to the idea of whole term life insurance policies? Why don't they know about them? Why don't they invest in them these days? Is it a big secret or people just blind to the idea? I'd say as individuals, we've been lured into speculation and for good reason. We've had such low interest rate environments for so many decades now that the only place we can seek yield is in higher risky assets, things like like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and some forms of real estate. So it was, I think, in part, the devaluation of the dollar and the rise of inflation and just keeping up with your purchasing power that moved people from the safety of bonds and life insurance over and pensions, by the way, are also subject to this, and then moving them over to more speculative stuff. We went from a nation of savers to a nation of speculators and we're expected to somehow know the 40 or 50 stocks in our portfolio and keep a day job and take care of the kids. It's just we're not all Warren Buffett, at least most people. Yes, that's good. And I think a point to bring up that you kind of touch on there is we kind of brought it up a little bit earlier. But you know, we talk about market volatility. And some of that is volatility on the investor's behalf, right? You think you can go in and you know adjust your portfolio or pick those better stocks or whatever. Well, with this whole term life insurance policy, there's nothing to pick and change and have to continue to do market research and rebalance your portfolio every six months or a year. It's just kind of a yep. set it and forget it type instrument. Yep. And it really shouldn't be left inside your policy. So one thing I'll say quickly, and then I'll bring this up, but this idea up for tax purposes, but banks are some of the biggest purchasers of these whole life policies. They last year had $162 billion, almost 25% of their overall value was in wrapped up in cash value life insurance. And why would they do that if it was such a bad place to put money? Corporations actually, uh, also Apple, Microsoft, any of the major companies you might've heard of, has major key person policies on their executives, their board, and they're plowing just massive amounts of money into these things as a safe place for their capital to reside to take advantage of opportunities. So for the folks that say, well, I've never heard of this before, I can only say, look it up. Look up bank-owned life insurance. Just type that into Google, corporate-owned life insurance. Check that out. Take a look and see. One of the things that I'll just quickly mention as an idea for folks to just kind of get their imaginations going here, we've had a lot of clients lately who've decided that they're sick and tired of paying $50,000, $100,000, $500,000 a year to the IRS. I mean, that's in all honesty, Jacob, that's the biggest expense we'll ever have in all of our lifetime. If you add it all up, that's more than college. It's more than your house. It's more than really anything else. If you total up sales tax, income tax, payroll tax, all of it. So some folks in our clients have just decided that they're going to use their bank on yourself type whole life policy to plow money into and then borrow that money out to pay cash 
for your taxes as you normally would. So this strategy gives the clients that we're working with the ability to earn wealth, earn dividends, even on the money that they were spending on their taxes as normal. Long story short, it gives you millions of dollars if you do it right, just by paying your taxes this way. Just another one of the many benefits of this whole term life insurance policy. Now, Mark, for people who are just hearing about this, it can be a complicated thing to kind of wrap their head around and really get it the first time, at least for people simple-minded like myself anyways. So, you know, if people are wanting to kind of learn more about this, what are some good recommended resources out there that you know of, some good places to kind of learn more about these things? Yeah, there's a ton of uh, bad and good information out there. Just remember, anybody with an internet connection and an opinion can put something up online. So you'd want to find somebody who had some sort of credentials. You know, one of my favorite authors on the subject is Pamela Yellen. She wrote the New York Times bestselling book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution. You could also check out Nelson Nash. He kind of founded the strategy decades ago and uh, has been using it for decades. His book is called Become Your Own Banker. There's plenty of uh, YouTube and documentaries out there. I'll humbly submit our podcast as part of this. We try to do a weekly podcast on this strategy and similar strategies and try to put our best foot forward there. The name of our podcast is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I only can hope to be as cool as Jacob someday with your podcast, but you know, we're trying oh, to get... The I'm sure you've surely surpassed that bar. <laughs> We're just trying to get the word out. Again, I think folks really got the idea. If they figured it out, it's less about the product. It's more about the function. If you can reclaim in your own family's life or your business's life, the banking function in your life, imagine how much easier the rest of your financial decisions become. It's sort of like a hinge on a door. That's the smallest hinge that swings the biggest door. Let's see, Tim Ferriss has this saying. He says, I'd, I'd like to find the one decision that helps me take care of a thousand other decisions. I feel like this strategy helps us do that. Yeah, really cool. Well, awesome stuff. We'll certainly link those resources in the show notes for audience members to pick up a couple good book recommendations you made by Pamela Yellen and Nelson Nash on a couple books there. So we'll link those. Of course, there's tons of information and resources at your podcast and your website, which is Lake Growth. Could you remind the website what that is again? It's yeah, our financial firm's name is Lake Growth Financial Services. We're here in Chicago. You could Google us there. You can find more of our content we're creating on our podcast website, which is notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. We tried to make the name as short as possible, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that. The real estate way to wealth and freedom is like yeah. two minutes as long. So uh, yep. yeah, certainly. Well, hey, Mark, it's been a lot of fun having you back on, kind of yeah. talking about this whole bank on yourself concept. It's not something that's very well talked about, at least in the real estate investing community we kind of get tend to get in the weeds of things and management companies this and tax that leases this and things. So yeah, it's kind of good to kind of back up, kind of get a higher level of really what you're doing with your money, how you're managing it. And ultimately, you know, kind of taking control, taking that back in your wheelhouse and being your own bank. So I love that. Now you've been up to some other new stuff. So, you know, I should have kind of gotten this at the beginning of the podcast, but tell us what's new in your world and your life. I know you're always up to new and sure. cool things. Yeah. Well, we just published a book. It was an Amazon bestselling book co-authored with a gentleman named Danny Stock. Danny helps run a mastermind group for e-commerce sellers. Jacob, I've had the privilege over the last year or so working with a little over 100 of these business owners all across the country who are doing just incredible work on the online sales space, whether it's e-commerce uh, 
retail arbitrage or online arbitrage, private label, or any other strategy out there. So we co-authored a book. Actually, I'd love to make it available to your listeners. It's a fairly easy read. The title of the book is How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. If they would like to copy of this book and they're in the US, just tell your listeners or if your listeners can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click book a meeting and happy to chat with you about anything you've heard on today's episode with Jacob and I and be happy to send you a copy of our book, No Charge. So just fill your name out and make sure to mention Jacob's name or Jacob's podcast in the notes and I'll be sure to send that book to you guys. Hey, Mark, really appreciate that. So that's notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Go there, book a meeting, tell the uh, submission form there that you heard about this on the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast or mention my name for that free book. So really appreciate that, Mark. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun as always. Hopefully we'll make this a third appearance in the upcoming future. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll do one live and I'll be in uh, Houston and uh, avoiding some of this polar vortex. Come on down anytime you want. (laughs) Oh man, thank you. All right, Mark, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Mark Willis. Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope it provided a lot of value to you. I know this is probably a new subject for many people out there. So if you want to learn more about anything we mentioned during the show, you can find all of those resources in the show notes, along with Mark's contact information, his website, and all of that good stuff. So, well, hey, without further ado, let's wrap up this episode. As always, you know where to find me, www www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively.